The reading is from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28, and can be found on page 118 of the Church Bibles. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, those three songs indeed uh, are an introduction to this uh, theme that we are uh, Pursuing that is that when you are saved, you are safe. And we've been posing the question on um, four different occasions with three different uh, speakers um, as to the certainty of our salvation. And we've taken some of these familiar words and just tried to put a bit of flesh and bones upon them and see how um, we can understand them a little more. For example, we began um, a while ago uh, under this whole heading of how can we be sure that we are saved? How do you know you're a believer, that you're truly a Christian? Not simply because of the family you're born into, the type of education you've had, or all that sort of thing, or indeed experience. How do you really know? And we've been trying to look at these New Testament words. So we began by thinking about uh, predestination. And uh, by that we were saying that God has chosen us. And we try to take time to say each time that there is always a context for this. It isn't simply that God randomly chooses some and not others. It isn't like that. It is the overwhelming love of God that we've responded to. And then we thought about this term, God has called us, what's called election. 
And how does that work in practice? It works like this, that we hear the gospel of redeeming love proclaimed and we respond to the Lord Jesus and realize that not only he died for the world, but he died for me. He is my Savior. So before the foundation of the world, the Lord knows, because he knows the end from the beginning. That was a hard concept, something. And then thirdly, God has justified us. And it, the last time we looked at this, freely by his grace. The verse that we have, God's lavished his grace upon us. And last Sunday you were looking at adoption. He has adopted us in love. And now tonight, this last one of this series, God is sanctifying us. And our verse, we'll focus on this part. We could look in many parts and draw out different things, but for the time and the purpose tonight, this is it. God is sanctifying us. So we're thinking about sanctification. And there you have it uh, in, in the reading, in verse 23, as, as this final um, blessing that's conferred upon the people of God. We read in verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And look how very specific this is. If, he, if you are truly the Lord's people, then his work of grace should be seen in varying degrees. And look how specific it is. Right? He's sanctifying you through and through. This is thorough. Look. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it because you can't. And we were making the point before, uh, somebody was saying to me, I, I don't know if I should become a Christian, but if, if I do, I won't be able to keep it up. Indeed you won't, nor can you. You need God's grace as you trust in him. And sanctification then, I've come to faith, now this is being worked out with all the challenges and dis difficulties and setbacks. So the focus really essentially is verse 23, and we'll look around it quite quickly. But I, I wonder whether you have noticed, and there they are, if we keep these uh, five statements there, the first four, as you see, are past tense, isn't it? This is what God has done. See that? Whereas the fifth, the one we're looking at tonight, is what God is continuing to do. The continuous present tense. Do you see that? Now, we could get into a bit of trouble with that because there is a reference we will look at that even sanctification comes in the past tense because ultimately God knows the end from the beginning. Nevertheless, the challenge is I have come to faith I am working out my salvation, and this is called sanctification, okay? So, sanctification in the present and in the continuous. So, if we were to just give one final example, what God has done in Christ in terms of justification, it's a declaration. It's what you call a forensic term. He pronounces it. It's a declaration. Okay, but now, that's what God has done, 
as a declaration. What we are looking tonight as what God is doing, which is sanctification, which is a progression. The one is a declaration. This one is a progression. Hope, because sometimes we can get into a bit of trouble by getting these two mixed up. Okay? Right. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24. That's what we are thinking about, and um, here we are. So, sanctification, or another similar word, holiness, has two expressions. And I want us to think about these uh, briefly, two expressions. The first is what we call positional. Okay? And you need to, one, it's the only cross-reference, and it's in Hebrews 10. And here you see that even the past tense is used for sanctification. It's, Hebrews chapter 10 is all to do with Christ's sacrifice once and for all. And you don't need to go to a priest and you don't need the confessional. This is God's finished work ratified on the cross. Okay. Hebrews 10, 10. Here it is. And by that will, God's will, we have been made holy. Do you see that? Past tense. So, in a way, that introduction was slightly, not misleading, but needed a qualification. So, and by that will, we have been made holy. How? Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And in order for that to continue, here we have the Lord's table before us. Okay? So, that's what's called positional. That's our position in Christ Jesus. We have once and for all, and finally, being set apart. Now, if you were to look in the graveyard and the inscription on the previous new extension, you will see that it says that as you pass through here, this is God's house, and something to the effect that the, not only the sanctuary, but um, the graveyard is set apart of the glory of God. We've actually used the word set apart, sanctified, or what we used to call years ago, consecrated ground. We used to use those terms. Well, in a, in a sense, that is true. That uh, the, 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 the burial ground and part of God's glory is expressed here and so forth. So, in a way, we can use that of a building as much as use it for a person. We are all set apart. That's our position, Okay? Positionally. Secondly, moving along quickly, is, is, is practically. What's the practical implication, the personal outworking of this? Well, look in verse uh, 22. For example, this might be part of, of, if you like, the first, which is a negative. And the negative is this. Here you are. You've come to faith in Jesus Christ. At whatever stage, you are to avoid every kind of evil. Be careful what you read. Choose your DVDs carefully. Don't pick fights with the devil. Avoid every kind of evil. Now, that's a bit of a negative. And there are some churches who may have built their church around negatives and and. However well intended that was, you could tell, you could tell believers by, by what they don't do, by the, way things, by the places they don't go to. Of course, the pendulum now has swung completely the other way, that all Christians just want to be like everybody else. So, when we think of this practical 
and personal application, all right, take note of it. Avoid every kind of evil. But with this, there's also a positive. There's the negative, verse 22. Here's the positive. May God himself sanctify you through and through. Don't give up, because he hasn't given up. And whatever the struggles and setbacks and difficulties, which every believer has in varying degrees. So here's the balance, isn't it? I think it's no accident, therefore. When we think about sanctification, we're thinking about its practical outworking. There are negative things. It's as if the Spirit would say to you, if you are going there, you don't leave me in the car on a Saturday night. If you choose to do that and say that, I'm not with you. Avoid it. But equally, along with these difficulties, may God, the God of peace, sanctify you thoroughly, completely, through and through. And it, here's the, it's interesting, the order. I, I'm sure it's deliberate. Um, what does our society begin with? The body. How do we look? The sort of things, the appearance, the outward appearance, the clothes we wear, all of that sort of thing. Well, it's got its place, but wait a minute. The order here is the complete opposite. You see, we're thinking about this. May your whole, what body? No, hold on. Your whole spirit. What is the spirit of a person? How do you know the true person and the soul and the body? And this whole idea of the whole of our being in a positive way, a balance. But furthermore, the context and the application, as it is in, from verse 16 through to 22, just comment on these things and then uh, get ready to come together around the Lord's table, is, is this sort of application. Look at this. Um, verse 16, be joyful always. Now, it doesn't say be happy all the time. There are situations where you can't be. But that inner sense that even if I'm going through an awful time, God is in control. Joyful. Pray continually. Of course, there is a literalism that isn't helpful here. We're not going to spend the rest of our time in some remote monastery or in a prayer meeting all our lives. Uh, an attitude of prayer. Bringing things to the Lord. And it's a salutary reminder, isn't it, that these references, the negatives again, don't put out the Spirit's fire. If God is doing new things and good things, don't be too suspicious. Don't grieve the Spirit. It's the next part. So let me say something that's uh, very, uh, of a very personal note. You see here that in verse 12, thinking about in the context now of the bigger umbrella of worship, okay, you see what it says? We ask you, brothers and sisters, brothers, a generic term to include all of us, to respect those who work hard among you. That is, if the, if the pastors and leaders do work hard among you. Who are over you in the Lord and admonish. If that is true, and you know, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Even if you don't like them, you should love them because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn the idle, the lazy, encourage the timid. 
Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. How practical is sanctification? Here's the cross-reference that challenged me. And you need to turn over about three pages to um, 1 Timothy 4. Just, turn, just look at this. I think it, it may come up in front of you now. So in that context, and thinking about sanctification, let me provoke you to think for a moment. Okay? We are to appoint elders soon. And reappoint if that's God's will, through the church meeting, as we believe he makes his will known to us. With this whole idea of worship and sanctification and holding leaders in high regard and thinking about the underlying theme of sanctification, here then, here it is. 1 Timothy 4, verse 15 and 16. Paul has told him about preaching uh, in public and so on, not to neglect his gift and what have you. Right, verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Do you notice that? Not everybody will agree with you. Not that you're going to persuade everybody all the time, but they will see your life, okay? This is a very practical sanctification. Now look at this. This is the challenge to all leaders. I guess to all of us, but leaders particularly. Here it is, verse 16. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. For if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now then, let me be a bit provocative for a moment. Think about it. Here we are, a classic evangelical church. It's not an either-or. Um, if you like, Christian character, Christian doctrine. Christian character, if you like, who you are in Christ, Christian doctrine, what you believe in Christ. Which comes first? It's not an either-or, but it's very interesting, isn't it, that perhaps the bando evangelical would first of all say, no, no, doctrine first. Paul doesn't do that. What he looks for here, I'm not saying that doctrine isn't important. But somehow the one can eclipse the other. And we emphasize so much what a person believes, almost to the point where we miss out as to how a person lives. And when you think about this practical, grassroots sanctification in, in the lives of leaders, and of course ultimately all believers... I don't think it's an accident that what Paul says to Timothy, and this is a younger emerging generation of leaders, look, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Because if your life doesn't live up to it, then your doctrine will not have a cutting edge, even though it may be sound and thoroughly evangelical. Do you notice that? There is a balance here. And, a, and a, if you like, a healthy tension. And we need to think about that. So let's very quickly then try to round this off. Notice um, the context of this sanctification. Come back to uh, our reading in 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. And just very quickly um, look at verse 11, for example. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just 
as in fact you are doing. What is the wider context here? The context of worship. We are at our best when we are part of a worshipping community. A worshipping community. And so I've uh, asked, and uh, Kathy will bring this, uh, there you are, there's the, uh, we've used this before, and uh, I think it's an excellent um, definition of what it is to be part of a worshipping community. It's from Archbishop William Temple, who goes back a very long time. But the issues are the same. Whether we're liturgical worship or not, Anglican Free Church, makes no difference. So I'll just read this to you. And as I do, you think about it. So, we're thinking about sanctification, guarding your life and your doctrine. We're thinking about the negative and the positive. Things that we don't do, the things that we do embrace. And the progress in our Christian lives. So... To be part of a worshipping community, here it is. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. And what is that? The quickening of the conscience by his holiness. The nourishment of our mind with his truth. The purifying of our imagination by his beauty. Don't we need that in our day? The opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of the will to his purpose, and all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for the self-centeredness, which is our original sin and source of all actual sin. Sanctification in the context of worship Mutual accountability, sharing, giving, listening, and receiving. So let's conclude. Think of this then relational worship. What does it do? Well, let's go through these headings very quickly. We've touched on them. Number one, we respect our leaders. They are not perfect. And if they do say they're perfect, they are wrong. We are not perfect. But respect people who work hard. That is the apostolic imperative. Secondly, we relate to each other. We're not a people who just ricochet and bounce off. We choose to be vulnerable. And people may say unkind things, and sadly they do. We relate to each other. Verses 14 and 15. And thirdly, We respond to each other. We actually don't know everything. We need each other. And lastly, we renew each other in the love of Jesus. Now you could take those headings and see how they work through. I hope it's not too practical for you. That is sanctification. That's what Jesus is looking for. And of course the result is this final sort of blessing, benediction on the church. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and you're not on your own. He will do it. 
It's as if our Heavenly Father says, through Jesus, by the Spirit, let's do it together. Let's do it together. The continuing work of God's Spirit in our lives. And may all of this affect our conscience. Purify our imagination. Move our hearts in love. And surrender our will to a greater purpose. Well, that's what it means. A little anyway. And obviously much more. We'll just have a prayer and then we'll sing. Which is itself a prayer. This lovely hymn of Charles Wesley. All for a heart to praise my God. But first of all we'll pray together. Lord Jesus, it is surely a triumph of your grace that not only that you have saved us, but you are changing us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are resolved to make us more like the Lord Jesus. Gracious Holy Spirit, gentle and pure and transforming make us more receptive to you and wherever we are at tonight that something of this purging renewing cleansing refining work will be moved on just a little more Thank you that you love us so much that you are resolved to see us safely to heaven. Hear us, Lord, as we come afresh in your name. Amen.